This is the movie Hall of Fame Class of Alfred Hitchcock Part 3 is British period for Saturday, July 9th, 2022. And there he is across the table from me, the uh, necktie murderer to, uh, I don't know, Babs. The closest thing to a necktie murderer (laughs) I know. It's Adam Hall. Not wearing a necktie today. No, not wearing anything today. Completely naked. Where's your tie, Adam? (laughs) (laughs) No, as a matter of fact, all I'm wearing is a tie. Just a tie. Nothing else. (laughs) Very suspicious. (laughs) How great was that uh, James Conn story I sent you, by the way? That was a little insane, but I'm not surprised at the same time. Rest in peace to the great James Conn. I like to believe he came on set occasionally completely naked, and they're like, you have to remember to wear clothes, dude. And, but I have a feeling the the uh, costume designer was having a good time with the guy, seeing him in such great shape every day. Uh, yeah, James. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, Paul Schrader was. Uh, that's a good story. <laughs> Paul Schrader from the desk of Paul Schrader, or uh, his uh, Facebook page, I should say. Uh, my only memory of James Con, 1978. I was in Vegas on a Sunday with Jim Topak playing the sports book. Last game of the day. There were six to eight of us in Khan's large MGM suite. We are all clothed except Khan, who was <laughs> naked. Don't know why. He was in great shape. <laughs> Love that little detail. He was in great shape, at least. Thank God for that. Maybe that was the reason. We'd bet opposite sides of the game. I believe since he was playing. My bet was smallish, Khan's largish. Largish. James Conn became increasingly upset with my increasingly vocal cheering. Words were exchanged. Next thing I know, he has his hands on me. My reaction was to respond, but at the last moment, sanity intervened. Quote, I'm not going to get in a fight with a bulked up naked actor in his suite, (laughs) surrounded by four of his thuggish buds, it occurred to me. So I split and headed for the airport and watched in the lounge as Conn's team covered the spread. Good stuff. <laughs> oh, to be in Vegas in the seventies. I know. With Khan and Paul Schrader. Uh, I mean, just one of the one of the fucking icons of the industry, James Khan. Influential in many uh, uh, eras. I even said like, there's a. You could argue there's something about his influence and in even Elf. And Elf is a very important film in a lot of ways. And the fact that he made it that far. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. My sister uh, said. Obviously, having never seen The Godfather, never seen, yeah. she's never seen Thief by Michael Mann, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> Your sister? Yeah, yeah. No. Very surprised. Yeah, she hasn't seen Thief. <laughs> yeah. Not a big fan of The Gambler. Oh, I see. Not a big fan of Misery. Uh, Rollerball. She was like... Uh, <laughs> Rollerball. Great movie. She was like, uh, yeah, Elf's dad died. And I go, oh, oh my God, yeah. I mean, at least... At least he made... Yeah, he made it to the, this, this generation. He made it this far, you yeah, know? I know. I know. So... It's really upsetting. That sucked. That one yeah. sucked. Yeah. yeah, I wanna... I think the first... The first of the Godfather cast to fall, is that right? I mean... John Cazale. Well, I mean, Cazale and Brando, Brando back and in that era. Different. But I mean, in terms of the modern era, right? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, of the kids, you mean? Yeah, I, I guess, guess so. Yeah, Duvall's the character. Well, I guess fucking Clemenza died and shit. But. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we we're, we're you know I, I I track that with the alien cast. Yeah, always upsets me when one of them go and who who who's who's gone now. Um, Harry Dean Stan, Yafet Kodo died. Yeah, that's right. And um, um, uh, Ian Holm. Yeah, yeah, Just Ian Holm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, 
yeah. do that with yeah. So you have Godfather, I have Alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was looking at their ages yesterday, and it disturbed me because like Pacino's eighty two, De Niro's seventy nine, I think. Yeah. Well, De Niro's coming out with a movie this year. Yeah. Next year. Yeah. Okay. I think this year. Yeah. yeah Scorsese film. Duvall's 91. That's surprising. I'm actually like, we're really getting to it here. You know, we're getting long in the tooth with these guys. You got to start putting them on your death pool. I know it sucks, but you got to probably do it. Yeah, it sucks, man. Yeah. Duvall. Yeah. Uh, I thought it would be fun to uh, talk about our favorite movies of the year thus far, because everyone on the internet is doing all of these fancy schmancy lists. Best movies of the year so far. All right. All right. There's usually an ellipsis in the middle of that title. That's that's a go-to blog post this week. So you want to go down, what, the top 10? I think that'd be fun. I, I think it'd okay. be fun to maybe, for the record, state what our 10 favorite movies of the year are so far. And then uh, okay. we revisit it at the end of the year, see how it's changed, you know? Well. I think so far it's been a very strong first half. You I say would say so, so too. We, interesting and kind of nice and varied first half, too. My top 10s, again, I love it when I have kind of a weird top 10. Yeah. You know? It's it's it is the best to me, yeah. um, which is why, of course, Uncharted is my number one, <laughs> followed by the Adam Project, followed by Jurassic World Dominion, and then White Hot: The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. Did you watch that? Yeah. How was that? Uh, well, to all what did jo- you learn about my favorite retail store? What? <laughs> That it's very racist, as a matter of fact. Uh, it was the worst. It's the worst film I've seen this year by far. Suck. Really? Fucking blue ass, man. Get the. God. Just a piece of shit documentary. Ugh. I, I just love the exterior of that store. <laughs> I, I don't think I really shopped there ever as a child. I mean, I wasn't a big, like, clothing guy as a child, but. When I was. Um, this is an incriminating information about me, but what isn't? Um. <laughs> I uh, when I was like I don't know twelve years old or something like that maybe a little bit older thirteen I'll say I was thirteen I went into the store for the first time I hated the people to death hated the service so much uh, every customer in there was just some idiot white dude blowhard um, and I'm like this store sucks I can't see anything it smells bad. <laughs> So I so I reached down my pants, grabbed my junk, and then started rubbing my hands all over the clothes. <laughs> you showed them. <laughs> I'm like, fuck this you place. You showed them. <laughs> it I wasn't dir- like a... I dirty sanchez the whole story, it, basically. <laughs> it wasn't a squid in the whale situation, though. There, uh, were, there were no bodily fluids involved, right? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Good. I didn't think that far ahead. Right. <laughs> I, have, I have standards, okay? <laughs> I liked how darkly lit it was. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. You know, it's nice to be able to see the thing you're buying. Yeah, it's kind of cool, though, when you're 12, though, to pretend uh, you're going to a nightclub. It's not a nightclub, though. No, but it kind of has that vibe, like the music is, like, blaring. But I mean, you can't really hear it because, like, the storefront is so closed off. There's just, like, yeah, windows in the front. Exactly. So you're like, what the hell's going on in there? As you're a Build-A-Bear workshop, you know? You got that experience, I think, at, like, Chuck E. Cheese when you're five. That's a blaring nightclub s- situation, except... It's in its own way. In its own weird, very disturbing way. Is it weird I enjoy arcades more now than I did then? Yeah. I didn't go to very many arcades when I was a kid, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I roam, ra- roamed around in the woods and played army men and stuff like that. <laughs> and made moonshine. No, I didn't make moonshine. <laughs> what do you got? What are your top ten? Oh, okay. Here we go. 
top 10 is yeah, pretty weird, but but cool. Uh, so just do you want me to just go down the list real quick? Uh, I think 10 to 1. Yeah. 10 to 1. All right. 10 is cha-cha real smooth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hanging on to your top 10. I li- yeah, I'm happy yeah. about that. I like the movie. I do. I like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, X, number nine. Ah, uh, the horror film. I haven't watched it yet. It's been sitting there on my uh, Plex server. Yeah. Um, this one has moved down. Um, it shouldn't be this high. I think I have to... Oh, yeah, it shouldn't be that high. Uh-oh, last-minute adjustment. Uh, Yeah, it shouldn't be there. Eight was Elvis. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. it's fallen out of favor? A little bit. Not that much, but a little bit. Um, Followed by seven, which is Mad God. Oh, yeah, I gotta watch that, too. You will, you will not like it. Definitely won't. You will not like it. Uh, Six right now is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, the you only, went to this really quick. The it, only person who likes this movie that much, I feel like it, it's, it's crazy. To it's me. it's like my solo. It's like my t- 2022 solo, where it's like no one likes the movie except for me, and that's cool, I guess. Here is a kind of like shoddily put together Marvel movie that all of the fanboys hate. Yeah, and you're into it. Love it. It's very strange. I love it. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, it's, no pun intended. It is, though. I, I don't know. I just like it as its own little weird individual romp. I kind of like it, too. I think I like it more than the fanboys do. I don't like it as much as you do. No, no. But I just, I, as I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't care about a lot of the problems people seem to be mentioning and about it, like, not, you know, I don't know. Like, not, how do you explain it? I guess it's a messy movie it's in terms of just the way it's put together and well the what, plot is held with, together with you know bubblegum yeah the story is a little ridiculous but it's but it's like a, a movie about set pieces and just really fun cinematic it's fun spectacle. trickery yeah. i just had a grand old time and i didn't care i just wanted to feel something <laughs> while watching a marvel movie uh so i don't really know if i felt much but i i was charmed oh. by the fact that raimi was able to do raimi's thing there's a lot of like uh, well when raimi is doing his thing the movie is just like an endorphin hit after another it's just yeah. i'm i had a pre- and there's a lot of it there's a lot more than i was sold on and i think that was the thing i went in with low expectations about how raimi it actually was and it's like an exponential increase in raminess yeah and, it's, and by the end of it you're just not in a marvel movie anymore and i'm just like yeah cool I, i'm I, I i've seen it like three times now <laughs> i like the That's movie wow i like the movie a lot yeah it, it's um like at the beginning of the movie there's that there's that fight in New York again I think the first half is is kind of a mess but mm-hmm. um there's that fight with like that giant squid creature with the big eyeball yeah and uh it's a pretty like run of the mill marvel set piece like i i didn't find the cgi to be particularly remarkable i didn't think the creature was noteworthy in really any way but Raimi would just cut in shots of like bystanders just sort of reacting and yelling and yeah it's kind of weird to see yeah i was like okay like a human element my bar is so fucking low with these marvel things now that that passes to me as capital c cinema but But it is you know but it's like easy stuff we talked about this when discussing maverick where it's like there's just little simple stuff you can do that just puts it above the cuff a little bit more than all the others totally it's not that yeah it's not that tough but totally just get a quick shot now, I don't know what, what I would have felt about this movie if I saw it in 2009, you know, after the Spider-Man trilogy, you know, when Sam Raimi's stock is a little low. I think now, by comparison, yeah, mediocre Sam Raimi movies look like fucking Mad Max Fury Road. And yeah, I know. I know. So maybe that's coloring my perception of a little bit, but... 
No, it, it's by far the most I've enjoyed a Marvel thing it's just, in many years. Yeah, I don't really care about a lot of like the shortcomings with the story. It's just a kind of a blast to me. I don't I don't mind it. And frankly, like the the, the writing is kind of weird. It's both it's both good and bad. Where it's like the 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 way they you know you know put together the bricks for this story is just bad. Like like it's the it's it's a house that that was built upside down for all I know. Totally. It's just like what did you do here? But those bricks are pretty good. Right. I like a lot no, of No, I'm I'm with you I'm entirely. Like, yeah. Well, it's like well that was yeah, it's like that scene, that dramatic moment worked. And the way I described it to you was uh there's a sequence towards the end of the movie where Doctor Strange is looking at Rachel McAdams and he's like I don't know why I run away. I don't know why I do this, but I just I just kind of do. And then she says face your fears Doctor Strange and then the scene kind of ends. Now that's a scene that like should not have worked on me at all because it's cheesy as fuck and yeah. I don't even know who Rachel McAdams is. Right. Uh, I haven't seen the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow that scene actually kind of worked on me and I just think it was Raimi's handling of the moment. Yeah. I've also... Uh I've seen the first movie and I don't know who Rachel McAdams is. <laughs> well, there you go. I didn't remember anything about her. I barely remembered she was in it. When yep. I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, yeah, she was. And then how about Michael Stuhlberg just showing up no, yeah, for was, like 30 seconds? I literally had no idea what was going on. I was like, this is very confusing. I, I'm assuming you were in another movie. Yeah, he was in the first one. Okay. Chiwetel Ejiofor was also in the first one. Did I remember anything about either of those characters? Absolutely no. fucking not. But yeah, like you said, I, I did enjoy the the Raimi spectacle for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The individual character moments where everything with Scarlet Witch was compelling. Yeah, she's good. Uh, she's good. Uh, his his sidekick. What's the guy's name? I don't. Uh, Wong. I Wong. think right. Really good. Every, every again, just the way they their the, the performances are cued when he's like when he's like confronting Scarlet Witch on that castle. Uh, I don't know. Really, really kind of worked for me. There was just something about the handling that was a little more impressive. Uh, and I took notice of even the production. The, this felt like an actual movie made by someone who had a, a vision for better. I mean, no, just I guess just for better. I mean, it's it's definitely an instance where he was, you know, had to really force this thing to happen because it yeah. was not getting off the ground any other way. No, you could tell ahead of time but, in all of the press that he did for the movie. I mean, he did like a big feature in the New York Times and it was a struggle. But. Yeah, he was already apologizing for it ahead of time. He was like, listen, like I, I get it's not fucking perfect, but like I did my best given the shuffling timelines and first, you know, the Spider-Man movies were supposed to come out afterwards yeah. and they so they had to flip it and. It was kind of a contractual thing with Sony, and it it caused a big headache. And Kevin Feige obviously rules with an iron fist, and it's hard for you know a guy like that to work in the system. We've been there, done that, you know. Oh, the shortcomings I don't think are Raimi's fault at all. That's no, I I, no, I close, don't no. I don't I no. I mean, no. his involvement is the only reason why I like this movie. Yes, yes, yes. That, I would have hated it otherwise. And that, that and that's why I like I, I agree with you in this point. If anybody else makes this movie, it is dog shit. Yes, it totally. is dog shit. Totally. Like, if the if the previous director makes it, it's dog shit. Yes, totally. Um, okay, what else you got there? Oh yeah. Uh, bu- 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 bu. uh number five is Scream. Scream's pretty high. Wow. I love that scream. Top five. Yep. It's, I think, right outside of my top ten. I liked it a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Might be my second favorite scream movie. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, it's really good. Really good. Uh, four is The Batman. Good one. Yeah. Number three is The Cursed, a film nobody has seen except for me. A little werewolf movie. Do I have to see that? Eh, not really for you. Okay. Yeah. I don't think you'd like it. 
Uh, and I, it's, it's another one of those movies. I, I say this frequently when we're doing our top tens. I'm like, this is probably way higher than it should have been. But I just love this mood. I love this aesthetic. I love the handling of the mythology. And it's a genuinely unsettling horror film mm. that I didn't expect. You know, it's, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's this thing that shouldn't have been as good as it is. But it is. Uh, number two is The Northman. Yeah, I think that's about right. And number one is Top Gun Maverick. Big surprise. Biggest surprise of the year for me, <laughs> considering my feelings on, you know, Tommy. You're on the TC train. <laughs> yeah. Welcome yeah. aboard. For this one, anyway. <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how into Rogue Nation I am, even though the trailers look or not Rogue Nation. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Dead Reckoning Part One. It's a terrible. Is that right? It's such a bad name. Uh, my number 10, uh, Steven Soderbergh film called Kimmy, Kimmy. It's on the HBO Max over there. Have you seen it yet? No. Very fun. I think actually one of the better uh, HBO Max Soderbergh movies. Okay. One of the better post-retirement Soderbergh movies. Retirement? Yeah. Whenever that was. I didn't realize you retired. <laughs> Remember he made a big deal about it in like 2014. It was like, I'm, I'm done. And then he made like TV for a year and he's like, all right, I guess I'll come back. Yeah. Uh, number nine, uh, the Pixar film Turning Red. I like that movie. Was very surprised by how much I liked it. Uh, I have not seen Lightyear yet. Apparently, it was not good. No bueno. Uh, but this was like a very original, fresh, mm-hmm. uh, inventive Pixar film. Loved all the allusions to the Godzilla movies and things. Very surprised by how much I liked it, too. Thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, number eight, uh, a movie that everyone seems to adore, but I wasn't quite on the wavelength of. I still respected it a lot. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. I, I really respect the visual style. Um, I, it's choosing to be an action film. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise it's pretty, you know, paint by numbers. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I that That's maybe putting it a little harshly. I don't know. Nope. I think it's just the action sequences and that's it. <laughs> well, it's mostly action though. Not really. That was the thing I was frustrated by the most. I'm like, there's a lot of just sitting and taking someone aside and talking to them in a cubicle in this movie. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of that. A lot more than people are talking about. <laughs> wow. Harsh. Okay. No, yeah. listen, I, I think I, I don't quite vibe with the sense of humor of Daniels. This the Daniels, directing duo, yeah. the Daniels, Daniel. I, I don't know if there's a the or not. Um, so, you know, it didn't work for me with Swiss Army Man. It didn't really work for me here. I really respect the vision. I like that at least there is an attempt to say something about the multiverse, to use the multiverse as like a character building device and a thematic device as opposed to just the machinations of plot. Yep. Uh, that being said, like it just, I was supposed to be laughing and I wasn't. And that, yeah, no, I agree. You know? That kind of rung a little hollow for me. Yeah, no, well, there's a lot of, like, tonal imbalance there where it's, like, you can only push that so far. I was, like, this is supposed to be so dramatic, but, like, why, like, like, sad and heartbreaking, like the Rakakui shit. Yeah. And I'm, like, 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 but it's, it's absurd. And I was, like, this, this happens sometimes when you push the boundaries of, like, making it extremely uh, crazy, but also making it super dramatic where it's, like, I can never sit my sit myself situate myself in one idea or the other, so I end up like taking myself out of the film and thinking about it, and that to me is always a problem. Yes, like, when that's like clearly not the intent of the filmmakers, like they just want you to be moved by the moment right then and there, and I just couldn't do it. Mm. So there's a lot of instances like that where I'm just kind of you know watching the movie and sitting back, and then 
trying to understand my feelings on the movie. And yes. That, and I, I just well, did, it's a lot. I did. It's a headache. Too. I, I, I mean, maybe that's just me because a lot of people seem to really love this film. But I'm curious if the reason for that is because the multiverse idea is so popular. And you know who said it best? Uh, uh, the, the Red Letter Media guys did a review for this lately. And they made a quick offhanded point that I don't think they reflected on much. But I realized, like, that's definitely what it is. It's... I. Because this the multiverse thing is so popular, I think there's been a lot of people that have been going into the movie and they they see it and they're like, oh wow, um, uh, uh, an actual movie about the multiverse. Right. What do you know? And it's this little thing that only I know about. Right. Only I know about. And guys, I know you like your Doctor Strange and your Spider Man, but how about this movie over here? Yeah. And then everyone's like, yeah, we've already seen it. Right. <laughs> that's That's been the journey with the movie. I think people are adopting this as like the important multiverse movie. It, Which, I mean, that just, just that like, statement makes my skin crawl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the important multiverse movie. But then I'm over here, I'm like, yeah. Is I, multiverse going to become like a genre like gangster movie God, is? I hope not. You know what I mean? Like, it's, where are we going with this? Like I wasn't compelled by it here, and I'm I if if I'm not compelled by it by everything everywhere all at once, I don't know. I think this is as far as you can go with it. I, I mean, good ideas. I don't. I, I do respect it too. No, I like the idea that, and I I do think there is some genuine pathos to the idea that a uh, that a sort of an older woman over the hill, yeah. who had all this potential in her life and sees in front of her all of the paths that she didn't take, yeah, is like- actually capable of greatness because she didn't take any of those paths. Yeah, it's a great idea. I think that's really interesting. Profound. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's super profound. The idea that like you're still this blank canvas and it's it's the fact that you are not yet realized fully to your potential mm-hmm. that you still have all this stuff you can offer to the world. Yeah. Um, awesome fucking idea. Then you have fucking the sausage fingers universe, you know, and it just stuff like that. And you, then you have dildo fights and yeah, and it's, it's the sophomoric nature of it kind of so sophomoric and it's not really provocative in the way that no, 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 it is, you know? Yeah. Like the most, the most like, Oh my God, they're actually doing this moment is when they're trying to shove the trophy up their asses, I guess. Yeah. Which is a kind of fun fight scene. Yeah. But, But even then I wasn't really laughing. I'm like, I don't I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what that is. I'm trying I'm still trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, just like it it just I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those movies that just didn't quite work on me. I think it's a good movie, sure, but like mm. I don't have much interest in like thinking about it further or re- revisiting it. I hated the third act. I said this yeah. to you a few times. I just yeah. think the third act goes on for way too fucking long. Yep. Like re- like overstays its welcome is is an, is a bit of an understatement. I agree with that. If the movie ends at its false ending, there's mm-hmm. there's a moment in a movie theater where the movie purportedly ends, and if it just ended there, I I, I would have felt a lot more satisfied. I think. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Okay, that's anyway. That's number eight. Probably not going to make the top ten at the no. end of the year. Uh, so anyway, that was a movie that didn't really make me laugh as much as it should have, and that's why, perhaps controversially, I'm putting the unbearable weight of massive talent at number seven. Just missed my top ten. Which I, I think is just such a delightful comedy, uh, legitimately funny. Yep, you. It's a great movie to watch in a theater. The crowd that I watched it with adored it. Mm-hmm. Um, great Nick Cage performance. It's just fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Right. Uh, number six, The Northman, a movie I really respect. I really liked. I was propulsed by. <laughs> I was thrilled by. I was disturbed by. Uh, but. 
God, never want to go there again. You know, <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> it's 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 a little bit of a tough hang. Yeah, it's a tough hang. But I I really respect it a lot for all of the reasons that I think we talked about yeah, yeah. when we uh, discussed it on the podcast. It's a visceral experience that one. Totally Hopefully. visceral. Yeah. Uh, number five, a movie called After Yang. Okay. Really gentle science fiction pseudo dystopian movie. Um, really gorgeous to look at. Genuinely moving. Uh, really liked it a lot. You should see it. Number four. I, I am as stunned as you are by its inclusion on the list. I, I don't see a way that this doesn't make my top ten at the end of the year. Michael Bay's Ambulance. Oh, okay. Just a fucking hoot. <laughs> Just the best time you'll ever have in a movie theater. It's so fucking exhilarating this movie okay uh it's bay just doing what he does best i think it's it's got to be my favorite bay movie it has to be <laughs> all right all right yeah i gotta try i still have to check it out it's been on my list forever so number three the batman talked about it extensively really good movie uh number two top gun maverick oh uh as i said before i i have now joined the search uh, church of scientology number two what the hell is number one Okay, number one is Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Uh, and uh, I don't know if it even belongs there. I'm not sure it's the best movie on the list. All I know is that it uh, it tortured me and <laughs> twisted me up in knots in a way that no other movie this year did. Uh, it's so predictable. Maybe the further away I get from it, the lower it'll fall. But um, That's a very Nico pick. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's where we're at. <laughs> All right, fun. <laughs> Cha-cha real smooth number one. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I'm as ashamed of it as you are. <laughs> you're just you're very you. <laughs> you're very you. Gotta be me. At least I went with Top Gun Maverick, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like Adam, I promise I'll change my ways. Okay, Nico, Top Gun Maverick's my number one. Thank you, Adam. So Cha Cha Real Smooth is my number one. It's God one damn it! Of the great movies ever made. <laughs> God damn it, one Nico! Of the great movies ever made. Uh, all right, uh, let's talk Hitchcock. This is part three of our three-part Hitchcock exploration. Yes, we're talking about his British movies today. I love when we we always write down the list of movies here. It just says British Hitchcock, and I'm just like, yeah, as opposed to like French Hitchcock or Japanese Hitchcock. <laughs> Or German Hitchcock. Like to see what those guys look like. American Hitchcock. That's my multiverse of madness. The we French do, Hitchcock. Who is the French Hitchcock? I don't. I don't really know. It's like a good any schlubby fat. Well, I'm trying to think. <laughs> well, we do have an American Hitchcock by the name of Brian De Palma. So there's that. I thought you were gonna say Jordan Peele. Or that would have made me laugh Jordan so Peele. hard. <laughs> <laughs> Getting excited for n- nope. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to talk about De Palma in a second when we get to one of these movies, because um, I thought it was very interesting. There's a there's a movie at the end of this list mm. that that is sort of situated uh, right in the crosshairs of oh, Hitchcock and De Palma. De Palma. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where it's like you could you see. Yeah, no, nah, I kind of thought of some more yeah. thing. We'll talk about. It. Uh, anyway, you might not know this, but before Alfred Hitchcock became the master of suspense. Here in the States. He was a British man. He was a British man. (laughs) The man made 26 British movies. 26 movies over the pond. 11 of them silent films. Mm. 
The rest of them talkies. Some of them were shorts. Some of them have been lost to time. You can't even find them. The original copies have been destroyed. Yep. Uh, but some of them remain today on publications like the Criterion uh, Collection. Um, I think most of them are in the public domain now. Uh, but they're out there for you to watch, and they are considered some of the classics of, of world cinema. Uh, I had not seen any of these movies coming into this discussion. Uh, how was how this for you? How was is, how is it watching the, the British Hitchcock films? Because they're very different from the movies we get later from him. Very different, but I'm, I mean, I don't know if that's you know necessarily because they're British. There's an aspect of it that is different because they're British, and I guess we'll talk about that. Um, but um, this is kind of before he really finds his way, with the exception of one film on the list. But even that one film is very different than a lot of his movies. And God, that was such an interesting watch. Um, but no, I had a really delightful time with this one. Yeah. Surprisingly good time. I was very charmed. The entire way through. As a matter of fact, I didn't have a problem with any one of these movies. I like all these movies. Yes, yeah, so do I. Yeah. I was very surprised by that. You know, I, it's not that I have an issue with older films at all. Um, I just wasn't sure how I was going to do with Hitchcock before we he becomes Hitchcock as we know him. Mm-hmm. I was like, eh, what the hell is that going to be like? Because I know there are some movies that he had made at that time that were not as um, uh, highly received. And, you know, this is a very mixed period in his career. But I guess we picked the best of the best because... Yeah, this is a genuinely fun watch if you were to do all all five of these movies. Yeah, yeah. I um I was first of all very charmed by how short these all were. Yeah. yeah. They're so fucking short. You can watch a lot of them on YouTube because they're available on the public domain. Um I, I think they're also on HBO Max, Criterion, uh, hour fifteen, some of them. Yeah. No longer than an hour thirty. I I mean, you can't go wrong in terms of the runtime, but also, like, they're very funny. Yeah, some of them. Yeah, but it's the British of it all, too. Yeah, yeah I, I was shocked how much comedy there was. And not to say that Hitchcock is a stranger to comedy. A lot no. of his later movies oftentimes are very funny. I mean, there are elements of Rear Window that are very funny. Sure. There are elements of Rope that are very funny in a perverse way. Um, but some of these are just, like, overt comedy thrillers. Yeah. You yeah. Know? One of them in particular is a very, very overt comedy thriller. Yeah, I one of them the, is just a comedy of manners, really. Like yeah, it's, basically. It's yeah, a, yeah. You know, very, like, yeah. sort of, yeah. Um, there's a lot of, like, slapstick. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of, like, screwball elements to the romance. It's funny because, excuse me, um, I watched it and I'm just, like, trying to figure out, like, what kind of movie is this and expecting a Hitchcock film I'm like well you know it's gonna be you know this kind of murder caper mystery whatever and when it kept being funny I was like oh wait a second yeah (laughs) I'm in a comedy right what the hell's going on right and then you sort of surrender to it and it's just like oh man it's like he's because he's never flexed his muscle as that particular muscle as much as he did in that one movie. I'm like, oh, it's okay. Right. Why didn't I see more of this out of you, man? Yeah. And, and by all accounts, there are more Hitchcock sure. comedies that didn't work, that just bombed. And so he sort of retreated back into thriller world. Um, you know, he did Mr. and Mrs. Smith in their early 40s. And, um, you know, before this run of movies, starting in 1934, uh, he made a number of bombs that were, mm. you know, not thrillers. They were sort of like, you know, straight down the middle, either like biographies or period pieces or things. Um, but yeah, I, I was uh, I was I was really shocked how much I liked all these movies. They're Plus, all very good. Yes, I'm, I'm good with any of them getting in to the movie. Yeah, I kind of am too. Pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I think. But this is the thing. I, I'm I'm a little hung up here because 
yeah, I don't really know. Like one of them, I feel like on principle shouldn't get in, but I really liked it. Yeah. <sighs> we got to talk. Yeah. Let's we talk. talk. Yeah. Five movies nominated for the movie hall of fame. The man who knew too much from 1934, the 39 steps from 1935 sabotage from 1936 the Lady Vanishes from 1938, and then we jump all the way to 1972 with Hitchcock's return to the UK, Frenzy, one of his last movies, his penultimate film. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's begin with The Man Who Knew Too Much, written by Charles Bennett, a name that you will hear uh, mentioned later on in this podcast because he also wrote The 39 Steps and Sabotage. He also worked with uh, Hitchcock on Foreign Correspondent in the States. Starring Leslie Banks, Edna Best, and Peter Lorre. Uh, one of the great recognizable faces of old Hollywood. <laughs> you might know him from Fritz Lang's M. M. You might know him from Casablanca. You might know him from the Maltese Falcon. He popped up in a bunch of things. German actor who fled Nazi Germany. I think a Jewish guy. Uh, did not know the English language. Fled to the UK. This is his second movie he did here in the States. Or, I'm sorry, that did in the English language, I should say, not in the States. Uh, and read all of his lines phonetically. Did not know what any of the words meant as he was reading them. Wow, I didn't know that. And he's amazing in this. Whoa. He's so good. What the hell? I know. It's kind of bizarre. Phonetically, Adam. An ordinary British couple vacationing in Switzerland suddenly finds themselves embroiled in a case of international intrigue when their daughter is kidnapped by spies plotting a political assassination. Uh, this is, of course, the original Man Who Knew Too Much. There was a remake uh, some years later with Jimmy Stewart that we covered on the other podcast. Yeah, another good movie. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. Another good one. Uh, did you like this one more? I am very even with the two of them. And there's it's, it's one of those circumstances where, and this rarely happens, usually I prefer either the remake or the original. You know, there's... Um, you know, like with the thing, it's pretty obvious which one's the better movie. Um, but like, yeah, I think there are things that the remake does better and there are things that this one does much better. I agree. Um, this is, if you want the more efficient take on the story, this is it. This is a much more, and, and it's not just because it's short. It's just a brisk, fun, energetic watch that doesn't really stop. And and, and not it doesn't have the same amount of time to reflect in the way that the, the new one does. And that comes down to a taste thing. There's a lot of scenes in that new one where Jimmy Stewart is just trying to think about what the hell's going on. And if that's more your thing, you know, cool. And I, you know, I, I, I have an affinity for stuff like that. So... Uh, there are a lot of the slower scenes in in that movie did actually kind of speak to me, but I sort of appreciated the briskness of this movie. Yeah. Um, however, there's like entire sequences in this one that I just think I would take over that that new one for most notably the third act. Mm. I just think the shootout at the end of this movie is fantastic. It's so good. Just nonstop, better than any action movie you could ask for. Yeah. I just I was having a grand old time. Just Be bottles being exploded. Oh and my just God. Things falling off the shelf. People, people just getting die. Just, it's like, whoa, they're dead now. Holy shit. Yeah. It's so good. And Peter Laurie at the center of all that is so good. Yeah. So, so good and compelling. Um, one funny thing, though, this it, it does kind of suffer from the, 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 the problem with the new Scream movie where it's like, who's the killer? And you see Peter Laurie right there just casually like walking walking next to the protagonist. And it's like, right. well, there's the villain sure. before it's even introduced that he's the villain because <laughs> it's Peter Laurie in the yeah, same I mean, way. When he was a baby, he looked like a villain. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I, we... we we should probably reconsider bringing this baby home. I can't bring 
people back from the dead. Exactly. <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, those eyes! <laughs> those eyes. I didn't know for the longest time, like when Robin Williams is doing that improv in Aladdin. I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? Yeah. And then finally, I'm like, I see a movie. I'm like, there he is. <laughs> it was the best epiphany ever. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's unbelievable in this. Yeah, he's the, so the, the firefight at the end kind of reminded me of Assault on Precinct 13. A lot, actually. Yeah, that was the one thing I thought of. Just. You know that static shot that Carpenter uh, does of the, the windows. Yeah, when the it's there's like no sound. It's just the glass breaking, and you yeah, can barely hear it. Just yeah. things explode, and like you don't have to see the bullets flying. You don't even have to see people hit by them. You can just see objects fall off of shelves, and you know glasses, uh, you know crumble into a million pieces, and that's almost violent enough. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the violence that's inflicted upon the building and and on the objects in the building is also almost more graphic mm-hmm. than what happens to the people yep uh and that's why it sort of reminded me of that i i really liked that ending and oh, yeah, yeah you're right it it does sort of end with a bang as opposed to that original movie which is just doris day singing right yeah and again like some people might prefer that i no, i i okay so here's another thing it's like there are aspects of the um the the assassination attempt that i prefer in this i don't I think ultimately I like the remake a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Just because the way it's shot and the cutting is very precise. The orchestra. Yeah, I mean, the symbols crashing. Oh, my God. It's really smart. Yeah. But there's one choice with the editing in this one where she screams and then they cut away before we see what actually happens, which I vastly preferred in this one. Where it's like it takes a moment for you to realize like, oh, they didn't uh, successfully, you know, shoot the guy. Right. The the assassination attempt failed, which is, you know, obviously I knew it was going to happen, but... Uh, seeing that in the moment, it, it kind of ratchets up the tension a little bit better than it does in the remake, where it's like they just tell you, oh, he didn't hit the guy. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- that was the one example of a scene where clearly Hitchcock had not only learned the rules of yeah. his craft, but invented some of the rules of his craft. Right. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and just figured out suspense. Yeah. No, on the whole, that's the scene in the remake's much better. But, you yeah, know, just that one moment. Funny enough, though, they, they reuse the music. It's I the know. It's music with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess the composer... Uh, or actually, no, not the composer. Bernard Herrmann was offered the opportunity to write his own music, and he's like, "No, I don't think I can top the the version in the man who knew too, the original man who knew too much." So, um, yeah, that that was the one thing. Other than that, like, yeah, you're right. It's it's a little more uh, efficient. I mean, it doesn't have Doris Day at the center, and I thought also doesn't have Jimmy Stewart at the center. This is the biggest problem with the film. Sure. The leads just don't like, like more so the guy. I'm, I'm okay with the woman. Like she fills her role fine, but the, the lead man, I don't know his name, but he, he didn't really bring it. Yeah. That's the only, the, the biggest criticism with the movie. Yeah. I mean, the characters are kind of a little underdeveloped and sure. I think that's sort of it being a product of its time. I mean, the child here is used purely as a MacGuffin. Yes. Purely. Like it happens. The kidnapping happens really quick. Um, there's not much time for reflection. Um, you don't really spend a lot of time getting to know this family. Although the first act is fun. I mean, yeah. all that stuff, were they in Switzerland at like a shooting competition? It's like a, I don't know what you call that, but they're, um, there's the downhill skiing, yeah. you know, this for the slopes they, it, it almost looks like the Olympics, but it, it's not the right. Olympics, but, right. but that's, that's really cool. I do wonder like how serious a competition it is though. If the child is just allowed to run right in the middle of the slopes and it's, it's rich people being rich and just, doing rich things. Just run up to her yeah. mother as yeah. she's skeet shooting, you know, like yeah. <laughs> not smart. Come on. Ugh. What's happening there? Uh, yeah. So, but I do think all that stuff is really charming. I like the chemistry between the two leads there. Yeah, uh, 
I, I like all the stuff with the yarn. Oh, that's a good little set piece. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a really smart little uh, thing. Um, just like a, a great little cinematic touch. Um, I love that it starts as something very cute and innocent and ends up escalating into the right. worst thing that happens in the night. And that was very shocking too. Just the execution of that 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 kill was really really caught me off guard. Yeah, uh, Guillermo del Toro did a like fifteen minute video on Hitchcock. I I didn't know this, but when Guillermo was in college in uh, he was i think in spain did he go to college in spain i know he's from mexico but he he was uh, at university as they call it over there universidad and uh he he did like a whole research paper he spent like four years putting together like this little book about um hitchcock's filmography and this is his favorite one he said this was the movie that hitchcock really became hitchcock it came off of a string of failures uh he did this movie waltzes from vienna he did this movie number 17 none of them made money they they weren't really like what we consider hitchcock movies now and so he sort of retreats into what he knows best and what he found success in with the the lodger uh, yeah. in the silent film era uh and makes a you know a, a thriller with comedic elements to it certainly and you can just see him developing all of his tricks this is the movie this is the original movie where we're like it, it, what we think of as hitchcock started here, here. Yeah. this is the the uh, the beginning of that so i can see it too yeah it's not the most refined version of what we know Hitch, as Hitchcock to be, where he, he ba- when we talked about that with Notorious, where he hits a mark and he just, that's where he kind of stays for the most part for the rest of his career. Yes. Uh, but this, yeah, this is the first one where his identity, you know, is actually visible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved, I love the comedic elements too. I yeah, love yeah, the, I do too. Yeah. the chair fight. The chair fight is, is funny and also crazy it's yeah. and it hurts yeah that's that and i was just like they're throwing fucking wood do you have any idea how how bad that would hurt and how many dead people you would have on your hands it was nuts it's just this this perfect little church and yeah. then they just start destroying it it was crazy yeah. it's a good scene really good scene loved his like idiot buddy the lead's oh, idiot God. buddy he was great when well, yeah. they went to the church and they're singing to each other they're like trying to communicate while singing the hymn i Silly. It's uh, again a different take on what they do in uh, uh, the remake too. Yeah, right. Which very well though, but also different in just the right kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely of its era. Uh, Guillermo likes this one better than the remake. Uh, Hitchcock himself said that you know this one is a little more pure. It's it's sort of the work of a young up and coming. He's right. Yeah, he's right. I agree with him actually. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it's a, you know, a, I don't know. Pick your poison. I think they're both very good. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure one is better than the other. Like if I'm to add up all the pros and cons, I just think there are things that this one does better and things that that other one does better. And it's a taste thing as to whether or not you, you know, go with, you know, this one or that one. I will say this is maybe more Hitchcockian in a lot of ways, hmm. aside from the 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 um, concert sequence. Yeah. Because there's a lot of just like walking around quietly and, you know, that that remake, interestingly enough. so Super fun. Yeah, go, it's really fun. Yeah. Super fun. Go for that Peter Laurie performance. Cause That's the big selling point for me. Yeah. That's almost better than anything else in uh, the remake, funny enough. Totally. I, yeah, he's just really good. I had no idea he didn't know a, a word of English. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Yeah. He's too good. I Bullshit. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. <laughs> All right, man who wasn't uh, man who man who wasn't there. I always get that confused. Yeah, the man who knew too much. Man who wasn't there. Good movie. Yeah. All right, moving on. 
1935's The 39 Steps, starring Robert Donat and Madeline Carroll. I love the name. I, I was looking that up. I was like, Donat? That's his name? Donat? Donat? Donut? A man in London tries to help a counter-espionage agent, but when the agent is killed and the man stands accused, he must go on the run to save himself and stop a spy ring that is trying to steal top-secret information. Uh, Hitchcock has just made, as we said, The Man Who Knew Too Much was a big international success. He was clashing a lot at the time with his producer, C.M. Wolfe. Um, but, you know, that that was sort of par for the course with Hitchcock at the time. Clashed yeah. with a lot of producers and would continue to do so yeah. into his American years. Um, but he, he's on a nice run now and he does The 39 Steps. It's another movie that makes a lot of money overseas. Um, and he's really building this awesome film filmography that's about to catapult him to success in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, this is often considered the best Hitchcock film of the era. Now, I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. I really like this movie. I think it's really fucking good. I Me think too. it's really fun. Me too. Uh, it's perhaps the most polished of Hitchcock's British movies. Um, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Well, not until you get... A little bit later, but you mean of his black and whites? Yes. Yeah. Of the original period. Early. Yeah, yeah. We got cute with the frenzy inclusion on this list. It's yeah, not really of a piece. But. Very. In- I was. I've been interested in frenzy in just, just for so 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 long because I I I had it in my head that those movies were not very good. Right. So I was like, well, let's see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this one the the action is just really articulate and well composed, and you don't see a lot of the seams. Really hasn't aged. No. I agree. But this is the last movie that I watched of the list. Okay. And we have now been covering Hitchcock movies for a month and a half. And I have really enjoyed this time. I I really enjoy Hitchcock movies. <laughs> but I've watched 15 Hitchcock movies in the last like three weeks or something. Yep. And this one is such a fucking Hitchcock movie. Yep. <laughs> like it's another man wrongly accused. It is saboteur. It is North by Northwest. It's frenzy. It's frenzy. <laughs> it, you know what I mean? And in many ways, this was the original ran wrongly accused. Like this begins the entire run. And maybe if I watched it first, I would have loved it. But like, God, I, a lot of I've seen it. I've seen it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I just, uh, I was a little fatigued. That's fine. It's my only real hang up with the movie, I guess. But I, I don't think it's the movie's fault. No. That's the thing. You can't really blame the movie for that if it's the first one. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and also if it's really fucking good. Yeah. Uh, to set a template like that to go. We, I, it's a very important film in that way. Um, I loved it. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. It's great. It's really good. It's really good. Um, it's the it, but this is the thing the, the the difference between like when the Americans do it versus when the British do it. Man, the British just do it a little better with their performances. Yeah, I was. This is the one I really took note of. I'm like, I just think these these performances are fucking charismatic and solid as hell. I just yeah. love these people. Robert and Donat, Donut, whatever it is, he's really good in they're this. They're just delightful yeah. people. I, I like, cause I'm like, if Jimmy Stewart's doing this, he's good, but he's not this lovely. I just, yeah. I just really, really loved hanging out with this guy and going on this kind of wacky, but thrilling adventure. I don't yeah. know. I just had a really, really delightful time with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, it's not as harsh as we'll get with like frenzy. It's not as like, it, you know, but it's also not nearly as light on its feet as something like The Lady Vanishes. It's right. a nice, like, like Friday night movie that that just works on Friday night movies before they were Friday night movies. Yeah, it's it's 
A crowd pleaser. Yeah, yeah, and it, but it, like, but, but edgy, just just edgy enough to the point where it's not like bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had a, I just, yeah, I, I wanted to stay in this movie for a while, despite the fact that like the the plot's confusing as hell. Uh, you never quite know what the the motivations are a lot of the time, and even by the time you get to the end, you're like, wait a second, what? That's what it was, right? But these characters being thrust through the story in the way that they do and the way they respond to everything is just delightful and often very unexpected, particularly with like the, I guess you could, not femme fatale, but like the the, the love interest. Yeah. <laughs> I like how she's used in this. I mean, obviously yeah, me by the end of it, she kind of comes along and she's another like Hitchcock dame that falls in love with the leading man. But for the most part, she's combative. She's yes. skeptical. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're so used to seeing that scene by now. The man on the run, in order to divert attention, starts making out with a woman in a train car. Like, I feel like I've seen that like five, ten times. But she responds to but it. But she responds to yeah. it like, no, get the fuck off yeah. me. <laughs> Officers, he's right here. I think this is the man you exactly, want. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And I love that little subversion, you know? It's very natural. I found there, because it takes the whole movie for them to actually get there. And right. they, they're, they're just kind of playing Yeah, off. it does the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like a, lot of, a lot of times, like, the, the lead will stop the play plot to start to have the romance with the person and he this character doesn't doesn't really do that he's always kind of fending for himself and trying to survive and he's like no i'm with you because i i i need your help right and that doesn't really wane throughout the entirety of the movie until you get to the end where it's like okay we've been through all this stuff let's like like start talking (laughs) it's like okay if you're gonna do it then that's the time to do it yeah yeah, no, it, it. You're right. It's super charming, and yep. as I said before, like it's just a well-oiled machine mm. of action. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, everything when when uh, when our our lead stumbles upon the the farm, mm. the the ranch in the middle of the country, and um, everything with that like that that like I, I want to use the word hick because I'm putting it in American terms, but he's just like a you know kind of gruff Scotsman. Everything in that dinner scene when they're saying grace and the way that Hitchcock cuts it and shows the eye lines peering at one another and when uh, the guy walks out of the house to eavesdrop on his wife and it's just like really coherent action. It's just really coherent thriller filmmaking. Great geography, you know, where everyone is, where everything is. Everything on the train's really good. (laughs) Everything on the bridge at the beginning's really good. Uh I mean, even when he's like running through the mountains, you see the airplane following him. And obviously he does that exact same scene in North by Northwest, just blown up um, several decades later. But I I, I was just stunned by how well put together this thing felt like it just it just was really cut exquisitely. It was really acted exquisitely. Yeah. Kind of strange that it was so early on in his career. I know, I you know, because even the movies that we're going to talk about in a bit feel a little more rough around the edges, and this yeah. one is just super polished. No, it has that like the witch thing where it's like you should have made this way further into your career than you actually do. But yeah, and I guess it it is you know relatively. I mean, I, I guess it is. Could you say it's? He's been he's been making movies for a while, but this is you know the fact that this is still regarded as one of his earlier films, and there's well, not it's much, about a decade in. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, there's not much wrong with it though. No, and, yeah, and, and you're you're right though when you look at a. Not that I dislike the the movies coming up, but there's just like oh, how is this one not quite as great as this one just from an editing perspective, or even just the way it's shot? Like the like you said, the train sequence in this movie is unbelievable. Sure, and the, and there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens that you shouldn't be able to follow as well as you do. Just the fact that he literally slips out the side of the train, right? And it's not confusing, and right. I get it. And they, they 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 shoot it in just the right way where he's able to slip back in and then slip out again, and it's just really yeah yeah taut and interesting. I had to. Mm. 
perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, also, the rare great Hitchcock ending. <laughs> this is another thing we're going to talk about. But yes, the ending in here is just nice. It's it's the right kind of bow. Yeah. The thing. Yeah, I, I really loved it. Man Who Knew Too Much, great ending. Uh, sabotage, I think, is an okay ending. Yeah. Uh, Lady Vanishes is nice enough I guess. right a lot of these movies kind of just end though they kind of just fizzle out you know yeah. whereas this one like ends with a really clever idea yes the memory man sort of reciting the the evil plot yeah. um they rope it around like because a lot of hitchcock films have plot elements like that 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 might not come back and right. this one actually uses it for something comes you know, full circle you know, to satisfy it i thought the hand holding was like really cool like we didn't have to see the two leads making out we can just sort of see them you know, embracing because That's a great detail. Yeah, it's just a great little thing of like, well, the world's a fucking, you know, dangerous, crazy place, and here the two of us are caught in the middle of it. It's and not- it didn't really feel like a romantic sort of gesture. It kind of felt like a we've been through it gesture. But, and you need that because the movie is so, you know, relentless and and tough on these characters that they just need this very delicate moment where they're just gonna touch hands and we know exactly what's happening. It's just pure cinema. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um yeah, super fun. I, I mean, I'm just upset that I watched it so yeah, yeah, late. Yeah. I get it. I get it. <laughs> no, you're right. No, that, like that, I need a break from Hitchcock, man. Like I just, nope. I've had a lot of Hitchcock in my life. That was the biggest, you know. Like it, again, it's not. It's not an issue with the film. It, yeah, it, 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 it isn't. It's more on us than it is the movie. But yeah, I can understand if you've seen literally every film he's done where it's a wrong man accused. By the time you get to this one, it's like, okay, we got another one going right. on here. Jesus, right? But it's so charming and and just delightful and fun. Yeah, I, I had a just a too good of a time to care. How do you feel about Benedict Cumberbatch doing a six-part limited series for Netflix based on this movie? I heard about this. Well, I mean, he'll be doing his British accent. That'll make a lot of people happy because <laughs> it's time he went back to his British accent. That's what I hear on Twitter. <laughs> Stop it with your American accent, Benedict Cumberbatch. It sucks. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Jabril hates it, but it's not that bad. Bronco Henry. <laughs> Let me tell you about a man named Bronco Henry. What if we this we get a, a sequel or a prequel rather to Power of the Dog? I need some Bronco Henry. Bronco Henry. I fucking love Bronco Henry. That's a move. Bronco. <laughs> Never even met the man. I love him. <laughs> uh all right. Good movie. By the way, also referenced in uh Catcher in the Rye. Where? I guess uh Holden is talking to his sister about the time they saw the thirty nine steps and they enjoyed it. What a hipster fuck. <laughs> that is a book that I read in high school and did not care for and have not revisited. Really? You don't like Catching the Rye? Did not like. Oh. Did not like. Can't relate to it, can you? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it was. Maybe like I was an idiot kid. Actually, I, I was definitely an idiot kid. It's a difficult book. And I was like, uh, when when's someone going to get shot? You know, like when's um, something going to happen here? Yeah. There's implications that that is going to happen of course but it's just a lot of like wandering around thinking about life and it's like it sounds like something you would enjoy yeah now it's now it's literally my life maybe you now should my life is catcher in the you're fucking holding why <laughs> you're not that bad <laughs> i'm pretty bad i might be holding <laughs> i can see you being like adam I, I just reread it last night and it's it i cried every page <laughs> <laughs> the ink started to blend together i couldn't finish the book i needed to buy another copy on account of all the tears on the page Oh, uh, 1936 is Sabotage Not to be confused with 
the David Ayer, Arnold Schwarzenegger film from 2014, Sabotage. When I went to search the film, that's the only thing that kept coming up. I'm just like, I don't want the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I want the Alfred Hitchcock movie, please. Uh, also, not uh, to be confused with Alfred Hitchcock's Saboteur from 1942. Yeah. Also, not to be confused with uh, Hitchcock's Secret Agent, which came out the same year. Same. It, it did? Oddly enough... Is this, it based on the same? No. So this is based on the Joseph Conrad book, Secret Agent. <laughs> okay. Hitchcock made a movie called Secret Agent unrelated to the book, Secret Agent, then adapted Secret Agent as a book called Sabotage, as a movie called Sabotage. That's very confusing. Also not to be confused with the Beastie Boys song, Sabotage. I don't know. There's a lot of people like that name, Sabotage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very confusing. Very confusing, but it's called Sabotage, 1936. Uh, released in the United States as The Woman Alone. Much worse movie. Starring Sylvia Sidney, Oscar Homolka, Homolka, so bad pronouncing names, and John Loder. <laughs> That's a heck of a name. I feel like the, the Key and Peel substitute teacher sketch every time I read names on the show. I'm... I. <laughs> Well, the only difference is that I actually correct you. Right, exactly. They don't correct each other right (laughs) in that at all. A Scotland Yard undercover detective is on the trail of a saboteur who is part of a plot to set off a bomb in London. But when the detective's cover is blown, the plot begins to unravel. Um, So this is a weird one. Yeah. Because it's like, like, what if you had a Hitchcock story, but it was like a hangout movie? Because, like, huh. it's very languid. It's very yeah. just chill out, think about what you did, make one more move, and then it just it goes And then a bomb right. goes off. Yeah. And yeah. very shocking moment. Yeah. Really good movie. Just, like, I even still am like, this is an odd one for Hitchcock, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, this is a movie that I, I feel like... Uh, you know, a lot of times like Hitchcock would read a short story or read a novel or would just have an idea for something and he would get, you know, his buddies and his wife together and they would sort of crack out a plot. Okay. And, you know, it felt like, you know, he was the main driver of the movie's production. Yep. Where I felt like this one, I, I don't know exactly what the backstory was. I, I'm sure he really liked the Conrad book, but it it felt like the novel was kind of the driving force here and it was going at something that Hitchcock didn't usually go after no um i i know that this is you know as is the case with a lot of conrad's work like a really beloved uh novel from the early 20th century and i think like had a big resurgence after 9 11 it became this um you know really prescient story on terror and you know how to sow mistrust in the homeland and um you know it's also a downer yeah, it's upsetting. It's not again. That's like what it's really bleak. Yeah. I mean, the ending of this movie is really fucking nasty. I mean, it might be his nastiest movie, maybe, yeah. with the exception of maybe like Strangers on a Train and Rope. But like both yeah. of them are still kind of Hollywood stories. And sure, sure. I mean, this one it's really fucking cynical, man. Yeah, it's and tough. it does not like its characters at all. And I found that to be super interesting. But it's kind of weird when you put Hitchcock's tricks on top of it, and you're expecting like a sort of light on its feet romp it's a better application of the hitchcock of it all than something like marnie but it's definitely a story where i saw it i'm like this is just not anything he would traditionally take on yeah and that's not to say i thought he was the wrong man for the job because i do like the movie a lot 
uh, especially as a Hitchcock venture, it was just, you know, a bit of an adjustment for me. Yeah. Uh, because I think all those things you listed do work in the movie and it is genuinely upsetting and bleak and interesting. And it's, it's just far more, I don't know what you call that. It's like, Again, I guess it exists more on the page than it does the 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 technical elements. It's not it's not a film that where like Hitchcock is as much the star. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I sort of mean. Yeah. And he he does his best to sort of Hitchcockify it. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Particularly the 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 ticking bomb with the boy. Yeah. So let's talk about the bomb for a second. So uh, Hitchcock in Hitchcock Truffaut uh told Francois Truffaut that he regretted that scene. Like mm. that's one of the major regrets in his life and he wished he played it differently. And I'm like, that's interesting because that's clearly the best scene in the movie and yeah. is really thrilling. Um, but uh, he essentially said that the bus scene violated his rules of suspense. You know, his whole idea is that the the bomb can't go off for it to be a suspense scene. The audience has to be given a sense of relief at the end of it. Um, and if you just let the bomb explode without any sort of subversion, without the hero's prevailing at the end you're doing horror right you're you know you're you're just shocking um you're not really getting them worked up um i don't know and i i, I don't necessarily agree with that I, I think he also didn't like the ticking clock element of it sure 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 yeah but he was like yeah if he, he could do it again now he would have had someone throw the bomb out of the bus and then i'm like well that's not the same movie i mean that's a different fucking movie Hitchcock. totally different yeah. yeah you don't have the last you don't have the last half hour so uh, I don't agree with his own criticism of his work, I guess. Yeah, no, I don't think I do either. Thematically, it makes more sense for the bomb to go off for that character. Right. right. You know. Yeah. And I, I kind of like that it wasn't a paint by the numbers kind of Hitchcock. Well, thing. That's the, yeah, that's the thing, though. It's the whole movie is kind of like that. So it's actually to me, it, like, I don't know, it makes more sense. But maybe here for it had been so many years, maybe he forgot why it made sense at the time. I don't know. Because I, I was like. There's there comes a point where it's like I was expecting them to get rid of the bomb, but then when it didn't, it was really unsettling and effective. Totally, and, and more more so than just in a shocking way. Yeah. So it sort of illustrates the cost of what these guys are doing and who they are in a way that I don't usually get out of a Hitchcock film because the character in this is a very common Hitchcock villain. Yes, but I don't think we ever see them painted in such an interesting human way. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, and it's also about just like the. The degradation of a family. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you have a movie like Shadow of a Doubt, which is about family dynamics. But at the end of that, like, you know, the family ends up OK. Yeah. You know, they're able to exercise their demons. Uh, no, this one, this family's not coming back. This woman is not coming back from this. Um, she ends up killing her husband who killed her brother. <laughs> and, you know, it kind of ends on this downer note. Um you know, they, they force in this detective who kind of falls for her, the secret agent that falls for her. But it doesn't it's not you know, that romantic is. the thing. No, it's it, it, it feels desperate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, and like all of these Hitchcock tricks on top of it, I, I, you know, I I appreciated, you know, seeing his tricks implemented to such like a dark extreme. Mm -hmm. um, but it feels like he had like a lot of doubts about it. And I, I don't uh I, I think it's get it. well. I well, that's the thing. It's like well, if he had just like I don't know, really, you know, surrendered to the material, it could have been even better than it already is. But I do think it works. Yeah, I do think it's effective at what it's trying to be. I think it's a very unconventional Hitchcock film in that way. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know a lot. A lot of those bleak ideas and those those the, the way it chooses to shock the audience is more than just 
you know, you know, surface level shock value. Right. Most, most of that stuff I read into and was more deeply affected by scenes after, you know, and that's to me more so the effect of a really good shocking moment. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, apparently in the original novel, it's made clear that the saboteurs at the center of this plot are Russians. And here they sort of make it a nondescript enemy because of the time that the movie was released and because of, you know, the way that the characters are portrayed. We uh, have come to assume that they are Germans, that they are Nazis. Um, And it's thought of as like this, you know, World War Two movie in that regard. But it's not really incisive with like its political messaging. Like it, it feels like a lot of that stuff is kind of just a MacGuffin, like in the 39 steps, like it's just sort of a faceless cabal of evil people that do evil things for evil sake. Whereas, you know, the Conrad book is a lot more political. It it hits a lot closer to home. It has a lot more to say. So I wonder if that's part of the tension a little bit. I know like in the case of the villain, uh, his name is Carl Verloc. And I love that guy, by the way, he's very good in this. Um, His name in the novel is Adolf Verloc. And it was just completely coincidental, but they, you know, obviously had to change it because of what was happening in Germany at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder if that's that's part of the issue. I really do like the movie, though. I think it's it's first of all gorgeous to look at. Yeah, it is. Um, music's fantastic. The performance. Music. Yeah, music is great. It's just a mood that I don't see out of a Hitchcock film either. It's such a weird mood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind of like gave me. I mean, it's very different than. Um, the the wrong man but a similar kind of like ooh what are you doing now this is so unusual right. for you yeah just so like like out of his comfort zone i mean this one even more so i guess he's even admitted that it, it, this one was very out of his comfort zone so totally but i think he did a good job you may recognize there's a 6 second uh, sequence from this movie that is used in inglorious bastards mm. there's a cross uh, cutting or a split screen that tarantino uses when the boy goes to run on the train and goes and the conductor says that you can't bring that on because it's film reel is flammable, flammable. Mm. And uh, of course, that foreshadows the ending of Inglorious Bastards. But that's used as a I see. cool little plot device. Very unusual for uh, Tarantino to give some credit to Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, it's old Hitch. Yeah, I guess we'll talk about that when talking about Frenzy, too, by the way. Because I have thoughts on some of Tarantino's criticisms for Hitchcock that he relates. When, when he's talking positively about Brian De Palma and and why Brian De Palma was able to do what he was doing. He'll talk pejoratively about Hitchcock. And I'm like, well, I don't, I think you're being a little unfair given such and such, but we'll talk. (laughs) I love when like we tease a thought coming later in the show, but we have to just put in words like, this and that and such. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, this and that and such. And it, that's that's how we... <laughs> Lots of things coming that we have to discuss. Well, it's a very Hitchcockian pod. Yeah, it's know. stuff and things. Yeah, we have to tease the audience. <laughs> Re- really, really. That's suspense, in. right. That's right. <laughs> We're not going to tell you shit. All right. Uh, <laughs> 1938's The Lady Vanishes is next. Starring Margaret Lockwood, Michael Redgrave, Paul Lucas, and Dame May Whitty. While traveling in continental Europe, a rich young playgirl realizes that an elderly lady seems to have disappeared from the train. Uh, again, Hitchcock's on a real heater. This did very well at the box office. It was the movie that convinced David Oselznick to bring Hitchcock to America. Ah. Um, and it, I, I, I was fucking shocked how funny this movie was. Yeah. Like it it <laughs> yeah. is a straight comedy of manners. Set on a train, yep. 
kind of felt like an Agatha Christie whodunit, except it's more of a where is it than a whodunit. Yeah. You know, um, the first act is just a total fucking farce. It's just a straight broad screwball comedy yep. with, uh, you know, two men laying in bed together talking about the cricket match. And it takes a long time to get to what the movie is actually about to. And then there's that yeah. point where I'm like, what is this? Yeah, what movie? are we doing? Yeah, like, exactly. it, it almost felt like a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, at times, parts. At like it's a real like sprawling ensemble. Like yep. he uses miniatures and they're in this hotel just getting into antics and hijinks and mm-hmm. uh, man, it's unlike any other Hitchcock movie I've ever seen. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking loved it. Yeah, one of my favorites on the list. I loved yeah, it so much. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's actually kind of wonderful. I was shocked by how much I ended up enjoying it. Yeah. The British of it all is it's part, so British. part of what makes it so good and funny. And these actors just know how to work in a room in a space with one another. Yeah. I just, I, I, I didn't expect it to be as funny as it is, too. That's the other thing. It's, right. It's effectively very thrilling and exciting, but God, it's funny. Yeah. Really funny. Really funny. So... Yeah, there's a scene at the end of this movie. <laughs> well, there's a whole shootout, I should say, and it's yeah. it's a it's a fun shootout, but it's not a loud and explosive one, right? No. It's not what we we've we've come to expect out of Hitchcock shootouts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a the, essentially the plot of the movie is that there's this like plot to kidnap this uh, woman because she's a spy, and you know everyone on the the train is kind of ignoring this young woman who says, "Hey, there's this kidnapping plot happening," and uh, they, 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 they want to keep out of it. They want to. They want to remain neutral to this whole affair. And then by the end of the movie, it becomes very obvious that this kidnapping plot is indeed happening. And the members of the train decide, okay, now we're going to fight back. Mm. And uh, there's this one guy on the train who's like, uh, yeah, I don't believe you guys, man. Let's just get to where we're going here. I don't want to fucking get involved in all your nonsense. And uh, he uh, he walks out of the train just to you know talk to the police and the, the quote-unquote police and the police shoot him in the hand he walks in and he's like you know unfazed essentially by yeah, his bloody basically. hand the bloody hole that's now in his palm and he says to uh our male lead uh, huh chap i i guess you were quite right <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the most british as fuck thing i've ever seen in my life like yep. it's so yep. goddamn british Got that it. moment it's Awesome. Like it's Monty Python esque in how dry its comedy is. <laughs> it made me think of uh, uh, there's a scene in um, I want to say it's it might be the meaning of life where the guy's missing his leg. He's like, "How's the leg feeling? Stings a bit." <laughs> <laughs> And that's the moment like you're either on the wavelength of the movie or you're not. And it's, it's very late in the movie though. Yeah, yeah I would hope, but uh, uh, God. For for me, I I, I th- it was the point where it's like oh it's this kind of I guess it was okay see see the the movie stakes are actually quite high like yes. for what like they want to do with the people like everyone is potentially gonna die it's like we're gonna kill you people and dispose of you in horrific ways if right. you get too involved here. Um, Yet it still manages to be a slapstick movie in that way. I'm trying to think of like a comparison, but like, like funny and God, I don't know what the comparison is, but I've seen other comedies where it's like the stakes are really high and like what could happen to the characters is going to be quite violent and upsetting, but still they're just hitting people over the head with like wood boards and stuff like that. It's almost three stooges. Sometimes. Yeah. The, the moment for me was when they, the magic scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When they, when they find the trap door, when they find all the magic props, it's like, I, okay, that's, that's the movie that we're in. I, I'm, I'm recalling the image now. It's the cow 
as it pokes its head up, it's like, ooh, yeah. I can't watch. And then the, ha- the cow ducks down right, in the basket. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, there's just a lot of like little moments like that. It's cute. It's so cute. It's a cute movie. It's so cute. <laughs> I mean, especially in that first act. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Where nothing happens. No, you just got this fucking bachelor idiot being like, well, I guess he said you kicked me out of my room. I'm going to have to share the bed with you unless right. you get me my room back. But I know you don't want to sleep with me, right? Yeah, there's just like, you know, guys playing instruments upstairs <laughs> yeah. and doing this weird dance with cloggers on and yep. uh yeah it, it's uh yeah it, it it definitely it felt unfocused in a good way yes, yes you know it lacked focus in the way that like a lot of like modern movies lack focus and that's not normally what i say about hitchcock movies a lot of you know they're usually very efficient and they're cut together real tight yep. and every scene contributes to the next and moves the plot forward and this one there was just a lot of like chilling out yeah, it's not very Hitchcockian in the traditional sense. No, yeah, it's I cool. mean the, the the thrills are the action. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah but, I agree. It's yeah. cool that he was able to do this so effectively, though. Yeah, it's another one of those examples where I point to where it's like you could have done other shit. Yeah. You know, I love what you did. Don't get me wrong, but like it does make me wonder what he would have done if he had like like you know balanced out like his experimentation a little better because he did it so so infrequently. Yeah. Well, I mean, even with his comments on sabotage, it's, it's like, like God, well, he didn't trust is, himself. Yeah, That's the thing. It's this like, is a guy that, had, yeah, maybe it was because he had a string of failures earlier on and he had to find his brand. Maybe it was just like the industry at the time didn't really encourage exploration or pushing the boundaries. But, you know, he was a guy that pigeonholed himself. Yeah. And he didn't have to. You know what I mean? Like he was on the top of the, the industry and uh, could have done whatever he wanted. I mean, he was like the original blank check filmmaker um and it just felt like he had written this this set of rules the 10 commandments of how to make movies and he never strayed away from that and when he did like he he was punished for it you know he's either punished for it or he just like i said he just didn't you know believe in himself strangely even though like they're good movies like sabotage is really good this is really good this is even better yeah and it's totally different from anything he would normally do yeah totally and then you also have at the end a kind of prescient political message sure about the idea of like remaining neutral it's it's one of the great pre-war pre-world war ii movies mm-hmm. you know about this train of people that wants to remain neutral doesn't want to be brought into the conflict and then by the end of it they're defending the homeland you know they yeah, they have to take up arms they they have no choice but to get involved because like if you ignore the exactly if they ignore the the pleas of you know, the innocent woman in boxcar number three, like eventually it's going to come back to you. It's going to bite you in the ass. You yep. know, you have to, you know, remain steadfast and solid with one another. Yep. Um, so that's cool. I found that to be like an interesting little, you know, political thing that's there if you want it. But not, if not it's just top, like yeah, yeah. it's a nice little comedy of errors. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's more of a romp than anything, you know, with just enough substance there to 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 keep you, you know, more moved than you would have been. And I don't know. I like that. That idea a lot. Yeah. 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 The movie works. Yeah. Here's another thing. I want to fucking ride a train. That's one thing I learned. <laughs> you want all these ride. Hitchcock movies. There's so many fucking trains in Hitchcock movies. What do you, you 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 want to ride a train? You've you've been on trains before. Yeah, but I want to like ride one of these trains. I want to uh, go cross country in a train. These like Harry Potter trains. They're British ass trains. Yeah. I have been haven't been to England. They're not quite like this. 
It's, well, I don't think they really exist anymore. No, these are very old and nice, and you get your little cabin. Yeah, little glass door. That's what yeah. I want. Yeah. I want a. I want a train cabin. You want to be able to smoke cigars and have some whiskey in there, and yeah, I want to go to the dining car and get an espresso. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, oh, God, that's that sounds great. Read the paper. You want an Agatha? Play the horses. You, you know? want an Agatha Christie. Train. Yeah, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I want to ride a train. I want the danger of leaning back against the door and potentially falling out of the train. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I want that so bad. You could go to Disney and uh, go to the Harry Potter train ride. It's pretty close to this. <laughs> I will not do that. <laughs> that's the best you're gonna get. I will not be going to Disney, and if by some force of will someone convinces me to go, I'm not going to the Harry Potter ride. I'll tell you that right. You don't want to. You don't want to surround yourself with all those Potterheads. Are you a Hufflepuff? I don't <laughs> fucking know. I'm an Italian. <laughs> Shut the hell up. He's a Slytherin, guys. He's grumpy. I want to go on a train. Planes are overrated. <laughs> Talk about overrated. You get those scrunched up cabins and fucking two feet of legroom. You got to fly first class where they serve you cookies. <laughs> they have cookies up here. <laughs> All right, final movie. We're going all the way to 1972 now. This is after Hitchcock has become the master of suspense here in the in the US. Uh he did return to the UK twice in that run. He uh did a movie called Under Capricorn in 1949 and a movie called Stage Fright in 1950. Mm-hmm. Um but for the most part he was making American movies with big Hollywood actors. Uh, but they go back to the UK here in frenzy and boy, oh boy, does this movie announce itself right away. Just like a big overhead shot of the Thames and, and we are in London. Welcome to jolly old England. Pip, pip, cheerio. Just blaring fucking music. It's like, <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, this is the most bombastic English shit. Yes, we're in England and we're having a good time here in England. Oh my God, there's actually sun in this shot, which yes. doesn't exist in England, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they like shoot on location yes. and it's like, yeah, it's very British. Uh, starring John Finch, uh, your favorite Mc. Beth. Yep. And Barry Foster and Barbara Lee Hunt. A serial murderer is is uh, strangling women with a necktie. The police have a suspect, but he is the wrong man. Heard this before? Uh, I certainly have. Okay, frenzy. Yes. Here's the weird cognitive dissonance I had watching this movie. Yeah. First of all, it's Hitchcock's only R-rated movie. I guess at the time it was called an X-rated movie. Very late in his career. He is now overlapping with the 70s auteur wave. Um, it is 70s as fuck. And it feels very modern. Yeah. There's nudity. There's cursing. There are graphic rape scenes. Um, as we said, like most of it was shot on location. Gilbert Taylor did the cinematography on this. Mm-hmm. It feels like a modern American movie. It felt like, you know, somewhere around 68, 69, 70. Yeah. We had sort of moved on to a new wave and we've sort of remained in that wave the whole time. And I'm so used to watching Hitchcock movies feel like a relic of the past. You know, they're shot on sound stages. You have a lot of like rear projection. Oh, yeah. They're very contained. Um, and they're working within the Hayes Code. Right. And it was very strange seeing all the Hitchcock isms of this movie operating in a modern context and it gave me like this weird like cognitive dissonance like okay like i'm watching a 70s movie here but 
there are still like two men explaining what a psychopath is. Yeah. You know, there's still the, the man wrongly accused. There's still the Hitchcock cameo. Yep. Uh, oh yeah. You know, there's still like that really stiff ending and, uh, it, it was very strange watching it. it, it <laughs> something, Surreal. something Surreal. didn't quite click here. Well, cause you're thinking Hitchcock is not supposed to exist in this era is the, yes, there's supposed to be two, two yeah. lines in the sand. Here. Exactly. And you do not cross. Yep. I know. Yeah. But I still fucking loved it. I should say that. It's so good. It's your favorite movie on the list? It's very close, man. I was astounded by how much I liked this movie yeah. and frustrated by people in general for not being like given the, for not giving this movie any credit, frankly. Yeah. Cuz I Well, people like it, but I, I feel like it hasn't been given this, enough shine. Not this much. Yeah. Someone needed to tell me about this earlier. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, guys, this movie fucking rules. Yeah. Could be my favorite on the list. I don't yeah. know. It's yeah. up, it's close. Very, very, very close. Yeah. 39 Steps, hmm, the only other real contender for me. Okay. Um, but it just like, again, I kept thinking of De Palma. And, yeah. and, and I kept thinking of De Palma and Tarantino. And this is what I was talking about. Tarantino has often criticized uh, Alfred Hitchcock for you know, not going as far as he could have. It's like dealing with difficult themes, but only scratching the surface really. And De Palma was able to take those ideas and really dig into them. And I'm just like, I just think that's a product of the time with, with Alfred Hitchcock. Cause I think he went as far as you possibly could further than you would have thought possible yeah. in most of, in most instances, given the time and place and just the, the, the zeitgeist and the mindset and the worldview of people at that time. Because when you get to this, there it is. Mm. There's the really disturbing, uncomfortable philosophical ideas that you're talking about. Sexually deviant. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. It's like rather. It's like it's like it's it's further than some De Palma films, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. I mean, the potato sack scene is fucked up, man. Totally. Like Jesus Christ. Like the like you know, there's that cliche of like like you objectify a character, but like she really did not feel like a person. She became that. an object. It was literally, like, oh yeah. God, it's so the terrible. Breaking of the finger. The, the, the breaking out the rigor mortis of the fingers yeah. too with the potatoes falling on the guy and she's got the white skin because of how dead she's been and her foot keeps getting in his mouth and he's like trying to brush her out of the way oh my like, god and then when she the, her naked body falls off the back of the truck and they almost yeah. hit her with the car i'm like this is horrifying yeah totally how do you think hitchcock's career would have looked if he kept going yeah I mean, obviously, he's very old. He's 73 when he makes this movie and not in good health. He was a very large man. Yes. Um, so he didn't really have that much time left. And everyone kind of knew that he didn't have much time left. But what do you think his career would have looked like if he started in 1950? You know, uh, what what would like th- the 70s and 80s Hitchcock have looked like? Because I do think it would have looked a lot like De Palma. Like, a lot I, like De Palma. I, I did, yeah. Like it, it clearly there would have been some of that that sexual sort of, you know, perversity that carried through really all of uh, De Palma's films. But yes. Hitchcock clearly wasn't allowed to go there because of the Hayes Code. Um, I The one thing I will say, I don't know how he would have worked with actors if he kept making movies. Oh, this is a common thing that was mentioned uh, when... Um in in Francois Truffaut in the documentary, they they're interviewing. There's a part where uh, they're talking to David Fincher, and you know Fincher's a big Hitchcock fan. But he was like, "Oh yeah, like I I often ask this very question, like what yeah. would it have been like if Hitchcock, you know, continued on into the '70s and '80s?" And I think about him working next to De Niro, and right? Pacino and Brando, right. and just them trying to deal with his hyper technical style and how your decisions 
are you know or the, the the direction is very simple but it's at the service of like geography and and like simple motivations to get character from point a to b and method actors don't really fully they'll do that eventually but you need to like coach them to get there they need to know exactly why they're taking every step and hitchcock has complained about um uh, montgomery clift when making i forgot the name of that movie is it uh, was it I Confess? I Confess, yes, yeah. yes. And and Hitchcock was just, and again, Montgomery Cliff was complaining because it's like, I, I need you to explain to me why I would look up to, to, to this part of the, the building. I don't think my character would do that. And Hitchcock's just like, I, I, I need you to, to, to do that so that I know where the shot came from, you idiot. Yeah, right. I need just the eye line. Yes, right, just right. give it to me, please. Right, right. We're constructing a movie here. Right. And... This is where I, you're probably right. Well, the famous quote when he tells that story is that actor are all essentially cattle. Yeah. He, yeah. he calls actors cattle like they are to be herded. You know, they are not uh, they are not to be their own independent artists. Right. I am the <laughs> artist here, <laughs> which I mean is a bit harsh. And but he's not. I get it. I understand. I, what he's trying, I get it. I know but, what he's trying to okay, say. But, but cinema but, is about to take a turn, though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in yeah, the yeah, 70s exactly. where like actors are. Now, method is the standard now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to be a great actor in Hollywood, you do method. But this is the difference between American and British, though. Right. This is, this is well, I think that's why it's important he made this movie in the UK. Yes, yes, yes. It's yes, important yes. that he went back because he worked with guys like John Finch and Barry Foster who were trained British theater actors that were professionals and weren't going to try to insert themselves too much. They were also not huge movie stars. No. So he didn't have to worry about ego that much. This is only the kind of movie that he could have made in the UK at this point in time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know. I know. It's cool. I mean, it kind of makes me wish he, you know, he had been alive for a little bit longer and, you know, just stuck in the England to make more stuff like this because it's really kind of great. Yeah. Again, I don't know, though. You're right. If he makes a movie with De Niro, if if this is De Niro in the lead, like, and he's coming in on all of his bullshit. That he wouldn't have dealt with it is the thing. Right. And that's the thing. It's like he wouldn't have had, regardless, I don't think he would have had much of a career in, in America anyway at that point. Right. You know, I don't know who a similar comp is, but this feels like, I don't know if like. Yeah, it's like it's a little bit it's 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 De Palma in like a little bit of the grime of Lumet, actually, I kept thinking. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. So yeah, I yeah, was yeah. like, Yeah, that's kind of an interesting comparison. Yeah, but both of those guys though worked well with actors. I mean De Palma was Very a little well more difficult, but yeah, like yeah. but Lumet is a yeah. I'm not talking about one the of the dire- great actors directors. I'm not ever. talking about their directorial style. I'm just saying yeah. like the, the sure. feel of the movie kind of has that. Sure. And these you know, to talk about the way this movie feels, <laughs> it's surprisingly like I mean, it doesn't always do this, but I was I was taken aback by how like grounded and realistic it was at times, and, and not like like punctuating the 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 more Hitchcockian moments took a lot more time. Yes, there's a great scene in the movie w- with where they finally reveal the who the the killer is, and you don't know. Who- I love the doling out of the information too. I just I love the plot structure of this movie. Really careful. It yeah. takes a long time, and I wasn't totally in it at first. I love the performances, and I love the look of it. And I was surprised that it felt like a seventies film and not just another Hitchcock. It's film. So fucking weird. It yeah, does. I know. It feels it's, like a seventies film. It's, it's very, very yeah, yeah. But like hearing them say shit and bastard and what the hell and all this other stuff, we're like, oh, and there's nudity. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, it's an actual seventies grimy, disgusting movie. Yeah. Um, but like the Hitchcockisms were. You know, maybe it's a product of his age, but it works well here where it's like the, 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 the mood of the movie is so scary. Yeah. And there's that feeling that the killer could strike at any moment. And when the killer is in the room that 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 first meeting with the psychiatrist's office, it's like you don't really know that he's the killer. And I'm going to make a really, 
really strange comparison to another movie here okay. that you're probably not going to see me on because it's so absurd. Okay. But it reminded me <laughs> of a scene in Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex But We're Too Afraid to Ask. Okay. <laughs> because there's a scene in that movie where uh, Gene Wilder confronts a sheep. Sure. <laughs> and the the... And you you think the scene's going in one direction, right? And the way it's directed, it ends up in a totally different place. But there's nothing flashy about it in that moment. It's just slowly, very, very, very carefully with the most subtle decisions, you start to realize that Gene Wilder is falling in love with this sheep. Yeah. Okay. And similarly here, <laughs> right, I, I know. I know it's I get you. All but right. Similarly here, I'm just like, okay, he's just kind of a weirdo. Right. And drop this little detail in there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then drop this little detail. Yeah. And then this one. Totally. And the, the editing of the scene is just yeah. very careful. And it's Well, I'll tell you what movie it's does terrifying. that. I'll tell you what movie. When it finally gets there. I'll tell you what movie does that. Yeah. Every scene of Inglorious Bastards is like that. Sure, sure. Is. Every scene of Inglorious Bastards is like, this character is not exactly who they say, <laughs> and they're slowly going to dole it out, and we're going to discover it together and become horrified and it's yep. going to end in an explosive explosive ter- yeah yeah right and that's how i felt about the first reveal of the, the the killer in this yeah it's like by the end of it, it's like oh my god it's this is the guy in a similar way that the characters would have uh, dealt with emotionally sure. yeah it's weird so they they start with john finch yeah. and for like 20 minutes like it's possible he's the killer mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's it's like the way that he's being framed and the way Hitchcock's telling the story, like it does a pretty good job convincing you that he is capable of these murderous acts. Yeah. Then we go to Barry Foster. Barry Foster is revealed as the killer, and then we remain in his point of view for like forty-five minutes of the movie. And you're like, oh, and we're like here? complicit with his crimes for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back around at the end, and and you know uh, all the fireworks of the third act start. But, um. I just found that plotting to be very unique. I, I, I don't remember any Hitchcock movie being structured quite like this one. I mean, Psycho is kind of like that. Well, it's that idea of like you think you're with one person, then you're with another. It's a different it, to me. It was a different take on that idea. Just not as like like black and white about it where it's like blatantly sure. obvious. Yeah, literally like, Marion Davies yeah. dies at the right. Whereas like you, you 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 it takes a moment to realize like, oh, we're we're jumping perspective here and why? And, and I don't think we should do that. That feels wrong. You right, know? right. Yeah, it, it's it's really good, and as you said, all those sequences are great. I mean, there's the, a, the staircase shot where it comes back down into the street. Yes, one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in any movie ever. It, it's like my favorite thing that Hitchcock's one of my favorite things that Hitchcock's done. It's fucking gorgeous. I mean, it's it, it like it it rivals his notorious oneer. I mean, it's, it's great, really, really, really good. good. Yeah. I mean, obviously the technology had advanced at that point, so he was able to do that. But, but. such a smart decision. I mean. Here's the thing, like, you know, I mean, watching the movie and you know who the characters are, you know she's going to die. But if you you were to jump into that scene in that moment, you would still know that right. she was going to die there. Yeah, right. It's really unsettling. And the way he plays with silence, he, is, he cuts out the, the noise in that sequence. A uh, lot of just static shots of buildings and you know what's happening behind the window, but you don't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. The discovery of the, the woman, the first woman to get strangled. Yeah. Yeah, where the woman goes into the office and it just pulls back and you get that uncomfortably long and you're just waiting for the scream you know the scream is coming but yeah yeah, yeah. right uh even the courtroom scene at the end it's like Mm -hmm. and this is something he learned by the end too and i it's the one complaint i keep having with hitchcock he tends to over explain through dialogue Uh uh um 
And there's still a little bit of that here. But in that courtroom scene, he he learned a lesson that many after him have come to learn, which is if I close the door, the audience still gets that he's guilty. Yeah. You know what I mean? And all I have to do is reveal a couple choice words and you get the fucking point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, that's that's an old Hollywood thing. I mean, you know, some of the great movies of all time are guilty of over explaining. But um, I will say with the script, it's a little more procedural. So there's a sort of a natural feel to this in the way that it's like as much as I adore Psycho, like that everyone knows that that third act explanation is just so scripted and unnatural. Whereas like whenever they're explaining stuff in here, it kind of makes sense for the scene. And I buy in the way that the, the police chiefs explain it is like kind of natural to their character. Uh-huh. So I was OK with that. Yeah. Um, And also like the scenes with them to, to know are kind of funny and, and a little delightful oh, the cop with his wife is yeah. that's, a, that's a good little runner with the yeah i like that that was cute yeah the, the the pig's hoof or whatever it's like this this is not an english breakfast <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's it was fun it, it, it was fun it's just I, yeah go ahead it's just the the ending it's just a little it's a little quick a little too abrupt how do you feel if the movie ended 10 seconds earlier and it was I thought- <laughs> it was just finch being caught with the body I, I, this is, and this is the thing. I didn't think the movie would have the balls to end there and I was yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but like, that's a hell of an ending. Yeah. I kind of wish that. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. That I would mean, be my one note. It's not that I, th- it's not that I think like the discovery of, you know, um, I keep forgetting the guy's name. Rust, Rusk, uh, Rusk. Yes. Yeah. Rusk. Uh, I, I still think it's cool that he got caught and everything. Like, like the moment still works in its own way. It's just, I, I say this a lot, just the, the point where he drops the, the, the briefcase or not the briefcase, but the, the, the trunk. And then the credits are all I'm like, no, no, you need a little bit more. If you're going to go with him being caught anyway, you have to, you know, play this out in a little more interesting of a way. Cause it's just like, Oh, he's caught done. Right. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there are still those Hitchcock isms sure. in there, you yeah. know. Um, but that is that you're right, though, that that that's a great idea. It's like yeah. someone, again, would have also been very unusual for Hitchcock to go there. Right. But he does go there sometimes. Oh, I agree. Notorious, oh, yeah. he goes there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, Notorious ends with a downer. Um, not that much of a downer. Not, no, I no. mean, the bad guy still gets his karma, but like it, there's a. There's an aura of pathos. Well, there's a what there. Or yeah. There's a what now sort of there, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. There's a like what happens next. Like this guy is going to die. Yep. Whatever's going to happen to this guy is not good, but we don't need to show it. We can just imply it. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah this, this one is so overtly that, though. It's like it would have been one of the most – if he had done that, it would have been one of the most upsetting Hitchcock endings ever. And I just – yeah, I was like, ooh, that would have been a really compelling idea if you had just done that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome fucking movie though. Yeah, everyone's good in it. By the way, John Finch just I'm, I'm a I wish he had done more. I'm I, I'm a big fan of that guy. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 really good. So 70s. I mean, like if, great great London movie. By the way, I just need to say that. It's yeah, like, this is fucking. Oh, it's London. it's gorgeous too, and it's great. Yeah, it's just I love London. I fucking love London. Yeah. yeah, and this this does a great job at capturing a lot of that 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 vibe. And it's like it's it's very New York. You just have to take New York and just pull it apart. Like like. 10 feet and then you have you have to stretch it a little bit stretch it a little bit yeah (laughs) really good yeah if if you um maybe have like a sort of your preconceptions about what a hitchcock movie is and you sort of see him as like this old hollywood relic if you're not really into like old movies (laughs) yeah uh, this is a movie where 
it, yeah, it's it it definitely appeals to modern sensibilities. Yeah, it could sway you a little bit if you're on the fence about some of his films. Because I could show this, I think, to a lot of people and they'd be cool with it. Yeah, it might be a nice little transition, ease your way into it, you know? There's a couple moments, I think, where the music is... Even the beginning, I think, kind of works because it's so like, what what movie am I in? What the yeah, hell is this? Right. This is the most cheery English bullshit ever. Yeah. And then it turns out to be like the most nasty thing imaginable. So that kind of works out. But... um. There are other instances where it's like, okay, you need to dial this music back a little bit because there's not much music in it, which is another thing that I felt add to like the grounded procedural nature of it all. Right. Where it's like they sort of, you know, spool out the information much more carefully than, uh, or much, I don't know, I guess much more carefully than Hitchcock would. I don't even want to say that. Yeah, that's not true because Hitchcock's incredibly careful. Um, but just gives more time in between like the unspooling of new information. That's for sure. Because it's a longer movie than all these other ones. That's the other thing. Yeah. Totally. It's, like, it's like two hours. Yeah. Totally. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm in a weird place right now. With- Good list. I know you want to put Frenzy in. I, I don't really think that's in the spirit of this That's why I podcast. felt... Well, that's what I was saying at the beginning. I was like, it's it's on principle. I don't think we should induct it. Like, we included it just to sort of be cute. Of like, oh, actually, <laughs> there's a Hitchcock movie from the 70s. <laughs> that's technically be- British, you know? <laughs> it turned out to be like one of my favorite movies of his yeah <laughs> i i kind of i want to i want to represent yeah me too me too me too old cinema here though no that, well that's what i was saying i feel like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right to put frenzy in even though i loved it yeah i think 39 steps is probably the obvious choice i think most hitchcock scholars would agree i think my favorite is the lady vanishes that's, that's a good choice too but i don't know if i had to pick one that would be my choice i, I think sabotage is probably at the bottom Sabotage would be an interesting pick too, though. But I, I do think I, I think the one that's out for me is actually the 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 man who knew too much in Sabotage. Those two are just okay. Yeah, yeah. we'll get rid of those two. Yeah, uh, and let's get rid of Frenzy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, let's cross those those three out. God, uh, Lady Van. You're you're leaning uh, thirty nine steps here. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough, man. They're both really good. Yeah, I just wish I was um, of a of a sounder mind when I saw Thirty Nine Steps. I loved Thirty Nine Steps, but I did love Lady Vanishes too. They're both really good. <laughs> Lady Vanishes is, you could argue, important because it gives us American Hitchcock. So there's yeah, that. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So there, yeah, thank you, Lady Vanishes, for giving us American Hitchcock. Thirty Nine Steps is probably the better movie, and it well, but it's also the more Hitchcock movie. More Hitchcock, right? yeah. yeah, way more Hitchcock. I don't. This is a tough one. I don't know. You want to flip a coin? <laughs> sure. Yeah, flip a coin. All, All right. right. Heads are 39 steps. Tails is lady vanishes. Hey, Siri, flip a coin. Tails, lady vanishes. Right. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> As per the coin. <laughs> the coin is sacred. The coin has spoken. Lady vanishes. Welcome to the movie Hall of Fame. Good one. Very good one. All right. Uh, okay, uh, one more thing we got to do before we get out of here. Uh, I have another podcast to do after this. I do want to rank ah. our favorite hitch. Mm-hmm. I want to rank them. Okay. Okay, now should we do a top five, a top ten? I think I, I, I numbered, or at least I counted how many of the Hitchcock movies I've seen. I've seen 21 of them. I don't know how many I've seen. I've probably seen about that many. Yeah, you've seen at least 15. That's how much we yes. uh, did on, on the... On this mini series here, mm. this is tough. I will go first here. Let, okay. let, I'll try to fill out a top ten just on the fly. 
I think I, oh man, because now I'm thinking of the 39 steps and I'm like, oh boy. Okay, I will go. My number one Hitchcock movie of all time is a movie called Vertigo. That's fine. Uh, my number two will be Psycho. My number three will be Notorious. My number four will be Rear Window. Um, and then let's go Rope, number five. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right, I, th- I think I have mine now. That's my, that's my top five, I think. Top five, <laughs> very different, actually. For, for me, it's very different. Okay. Uh, number one, right now it's Notorious. Okay. Notorious is number one. All right. Followed by number two, Strangers on a Train. Okay. Number three, Psycho. Number four, Rear Window. Yeah. And number five is Vertigo. And then I go <laughs> Frenzy, 39 Steps, The Wrong Man, North by Northwest, Rope, The Birds at 11. Um, with maybe Lady Vanishes in there somewhere. Now that I think about it, maybe I might put the Lady Vanishes. Uh, boy, I might put that at eleven. I think I like. I think I like Rope more than Lady Vanishes. I will go Lady Vanishes at six. Okay. Ah, you're not gonna like me for this. I'm going Rebecca at seven. <sighs> Jesus Christ. I like that movie a lot. I'm very shocked by how much you like that movie. I like it a lot. Um, Then let's... Maybe Frenzy there. I really like Frenzy. Frenzy's very good. Frenzy's really good. Perhaps his most underrated film now. I think it's gotta be. Yeah, because it's kind of great. I I don't know, guys. I think it works wonders. That's eight? Yeah, okay. We'll do uh, that. Maybe the 39 Steps at nine... Um, and then maybe Strangers on a Train at 10. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Man made a lot of great movies. North by Northwest, not even on the list. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's fair though. I, I, I felt like I had, I love North by, by Northwest, but. I feel like I've seen a better version of North by Northwest now. I feel like 39 Steps is the, the superior movie. Could be, yeah. Yeah. Well, I Mar- have it higher though. So. Yeah. Marnie's good. I like Marnie. Wrong Man's good. I don't think it's that high for me. Shadow of a Doubt I like. Yeah, there's something like that. Yeah. There's only, there have been a few that I, more so than you, you've liked just about every one of the movies. There have been a couple that I don't like. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I, I think I've said before, I'm not a huge fan of the birds. I um, like the birds a lot. But for, it just never really did it for me. Yeah. And Saboteur, I don't really love. Sabotage, I like a lot more. Mm-hmm, me too. Suspicion is very good from 41. We didn't talk about it on this series, but... Um, Really fun, like domestic melodrama. Okay, Dial M for Murder never really did it for me either. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dial M's a little stiff. It's okay. A little stagey. I don't Usually know. regarded as one of his best, but I'm not, I'm not crazy about it either. Yeah, people, I like it. I like it enough. People love that one. Yeah. People love that one. It's all right. Yeah, there we go. Good director. Hitch. Yeah, he's all right. Hitch. Now we're done. No more Hitchcock ever Never again. again. Yes, it's we're, over. We're done with Hitchcock. Over. This was a good. Uh, um, uh, what would you call that? You know, exploration. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I mean, there are still like 30 movies of his I haven't sh- seen yet. You know I mean? Movies. I'm sure one day I'll, I'll watch like To Catch a Thief and I Confess. And You got to go. I, I do this thing where I go through directors and I feel like I've seen all the movies by them that I need to see. I, I'm kind of that way with like, I've seen every Scorsese film, every Coen Brothers film, almost every Spielberg film. 
Um, and I feel like I'm all set with Woody Allen. You know, he's another one where it's like <laughs> I go to the, like the major. Well, I mean, you will drive yourself nuts trying to watch all those. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's, there's a, lot. a lot of them. Yeah, but I feel like it's like I'm after small uh, small time crooks. I'm like, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm good. <laughs> I think you got it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one day. I'm I'm such a completionist, uh, a certain thing. Psychopath. I have to watch them all. So maybe one day. You haven't seen all the Scorsese films, though, have you? No. You need to complete. Them. No. There's. I mean, the earlier ones. Uh, that's kind of my blind spot. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've seen most of them, though. Mm-hmm. I've seen most of them. I'm trying to think of who. I've seen. I've definitely seen every Coen Brothers movie. I've you know definitely seen every Tarantino movie. Obviously, yes, me too. Uh, Mostly every Spielberg. I haven't seen like Always, and I haven't seen Always either. Any of those? I haven't seen uh, uh, Sugarland Express. Me neither. Yeah, me neither. But I've seen Duel. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Next week or two weeks from now, I think we're going to be talking about Jordan Peele's Nope. Oh, we're doing that. Okay, okay. That makes it very easy. Okay, good. <laughs> I think we're, we're due for a movie review. It's been a little while. Yeah, we're going to argue yeah. about Nope. Maybe not. Hey, what do you think? We're definitely going to argue about you it. You don't you're know that. You're not going to like it. I know you're How not do you know? Like I, I know you're not going to like been, it. I've been, in the, in the conversations, I've been like, no, guys, I, I want to try to like the movie. I would like to, I would like to like the movie. Yeah, I, no way. No way that's happening. Uh, we're definitely doing that. Uh, we had a couple other ideas percolating. Um, mm. What were they? Well, <laughs> I don't remember. Clerks 3 is coming soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kevin Smith pod. That's right. We that's need right. to do a Kevin Smith pod. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just more of cinema's great auteurs, you know, mm, from yeah, Hitchcock I, to Kevin Smith. I guess he is an auteur. And everything in between. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this was fun. Thank you all for uh, listening to our three-part Hitchcock. Hope you learned a thing or two about a thing or two. Mm. Uh, I certainly did. Until next time. I don't know if you know it, Babs, but you're my type of woman. <laughs>